Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you leading us in worship today. So good to be with you. I want to invite you to turn over to the letter to the Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 10 this morning. We're going to take a look at the first uh, 10 verses together. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, excuse me, I got off there. I was still thinking about that song we were singing. We're starting in verse 19, but it's still Hebrews 10. I at least got that part right. All right, verse 19, Hebrews 10. Let's go to God's word together. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is a reading of God's word. You may be seated. Uh, as you are seated, we do have Kingdom Kids today, which is a ministry for kiddos who are four years old through second grade. They can head over right next door. Uh, right next to us over here with our Kingdom Kids workers, and they'll be over next door at the downstairs of our education building. It's a chance for them to uh, worship and learn at their level. Uh, parents, if you have kids in that age range, uh, feel no obligation. They're welcome to stay in here with you, but if they would like to head that way, uh, they can do so now. So, so great to have you guys. Hey, uh, um, Rosemary, save one announcement for me that I wanted to share with you. Uh, next Sunday, we have a special called business meeting where we as a church are going to be voting on a pastor search committee. If you've been around the last several weeks, you know that the Lord is transitioning Marsha and I into a new season of ministry. And last week we had our Gambrel Baptist Association that did vote unanimously, joining in with our other association, Gonzalez Baptist Association, that voted the, pre the previous week. And so they have called me as the director of missions that oversees a group of Baptist churches of which we're a part. We're in the Gambro Association, and those churches work together to support mission causes, but they also work together to support and encourage ministers of the gospel in our local churches, and they do some other things as well. And so the director kind of oversees that ministry, and, uh, and it has been a long season trying to decipher the Lord's will, but I'm so thankful he's made that super clear to Marcia and I, and that that has also been affirmed by our associations. So that is uh, a step that we have been anticipating for some time now and wanting to get ahead of that step. We wanted as a church to go ahead and put before you the names of those that our nominating committee and our church council would like you to consider uh, to serve on our pastor search committee. And so their responsibility is to decide how many should be on that committee. And then they have to nominate to you 12 or, or have to nominate to you twice that number and so they settled on six will be on the committee which means they need to come up with 12 names and you'll find those 12 names in the handout here that is printed in your bulletin and this gives you an opportunity to know in advance of next Sunday because right after the right after the worship service next Sunday we'll go into our special call business meeting 
If you're a guest, you'll have a chance to, to head out after the service, and members are encouraged to stay. And you'll have a ballot next week. And what you'll find on the ballot next week, and these are listed here in alphabetical order, and that'll be the same on the ballot. But what you'll also see on the ballot is, is some blanks where during the special call business meeting, there may be somebody that the nominating committee and church council did not uh, nominate to you, and you may think they would be an excellent person to consider for our pastor search committee. You will have a chance during that time in the business meeting to nominate someone from the floor. So you would say, I nominate so-and-so to be added to the pool, and then someone else would have to second your motion. Then we would all have to agree that that's a good idea. Now, one thing I do want to mention is if, so, if the Lord has put someone on your heart to add to that list, we do encourage you to ask them, hey, if you are called upon to serve, would you be willing? Because there's no point in nominating them if they already know that their life situation just does not provide them the space and time to serve. Because it does require quite a bit of time and energy, and it can last, you know, six months, 12 months. Uh, last time it was 24 months. We're praying it doesn't last that long this time. But you just don't know. you got to take the time that is needed to find the right pastor to come lead our wonderful congregation. So that may take some time. So just forewarn them. Them being added to the pool does not necessarily mean they will be elected. And if elected, it will require a significant amount of time and energy over a, a pretty uh, significant season. Okay, so just have that in mind. But these 12 names are the 12 you'll vote from in addition to any nominated from the floor. You'll circle six. We'll count them. While it's being counted, Chase is going to lead us in a couple worship songs. Just giving you a heads up. That's what's coming up. That's something we can anticipate and look forward to. Now, this morning, I'm really excited to share with you a word from Hebrews. Uh, as the title of this letter suggests, it is a letter written to the Hebrew people, which is another way of talking about the Jewish people, right? And we know that the Jewish people, as they have formed a nation uh, in this previous century, they are going through quite the difficulty right now. And so we continue to pray for peace and we continue to pray for God's protection over the innocent. And it is a very difficult situation. Uh, we recognize that. And uh, one thing to know is that when you give and we are able to take from the donations that you make to our church, we send those out to other organizations as well. We don't just keep all of that. And part of what we do is we send it to an organization called Texas Baptist Men, and they will go, and they are already there in Israel serving people who are in need in those places. And they will go and help with all kinds of needs in those areas where there is a disaster. And so though that does, another uh, subcategory of Texas Baptist Men is the disaster relief folks that are helping right now. Um, but we can pray as well, and I want to encourage you to do that. But that's just, a, just something for us to consider but this letter is written to those Hebrew people way back when. And we don't know which exact congregation or area. And we don't even know who wrote this letter. We just know that as they wrote it, the Holy Spirit spoke through them, giving those folks a word for us to consider today. Because it's not just a word to the Hebrews then. It's a word to us now. And we want to consider what God has for us today. So before I talk about three great truths and three calls to action that we find in the paragraph we just read, I want, to, I want to pause with you and I want to pray with you. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you with hearts of gratitude that through your people, the Hebrews, the Jewish people, you have brought to us after a millennia and a millennia and more, the good news of Jesus. 
And we do, Father, sense a special kinship with those who share a common faith in Yahweh. And we pray, God, that you protect the innocent, that you bring justice, and you bring an end to a war, God, that concerns our hearts. And we know that's not just happening in the Middle East, but there is war in other places, God, and we long for you to bring peace and justice and an end to every war. We long for the day when Christ will return and make this world right again. And yet you tarry because you are wiser than us and you know what you're doing. Even when we can't see it, we know that you're at work and your will is good. And so we're trusting you, Father, as we wait for all wrongs to be righted, we trust you. More than that, Father, or in addition to that, we want to live for you. Help the words of the writer of this letter help us to trust you and live for you. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to share with you from this paragraph three great truths and three calls to action. As I was reading through this part of Hebrews, you know, we're reading through the Bible together, and we read through chapter 11 this week uh, in Hebrews, and we'll finish up next week, but we'll be in James next Sunday because uh, we'll start into James as well. And it's really hard to preach only a sermon or two from a book like or from a letter like Hebrews. Uh, so it's really hard to distill it. But man, when I read this paragraph, it was so powerful. And I just want to encourage you, may, whether you've studied God's word for a very long time and praise God for that, or maybe you're brand new to, to church and Christianity and the Bible, take this paragraph. And if you study it, and again, I've, I'm always preaching to you. Well, I'm always preaching to you, but I'm always recommending to you a good study Bible. This would be very helpful because this paragraph has so much in it. It is just jam-packed, full of stuff. And if you studied it really well, not only would you have a greater understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, but I think you'd also have an understanding of all that led up to Christ's coming. Because, as we said, this is the letter to the Hebrews. So there's a lot of Old Testament stuff in here about how God worked under the Old Covenant. The Old Testament, Testament, Covenant, mean the exact same thing. And so the Old Testament or the Old Covenant is important to understand because it gives so much vitality and so much depth to an understanding of the New Covenant or the New Testament and what Christ has come to fulfill. And so I just highly recommend that you take this paragraph and study it and let today's message, as I try to unpack it for you as best I can with the few minutes we have, let today just kind of wet your whistle, all right, so that you can div, di, dive into this paragraph in addition to your other scripture reading. Because in it, I think we find three great truths and three calls to action. The first great truth is that we can have access to God. In some way or another, I believe every human being aches to know the divine. That we want to have a connection with our creator. That's a part of my story. Growing up when I was a kid, and we had a trampoline in the backyard, you know, and we would lay on the trampoline, we would sleep outside, and I'm sure my mother was so pleased. Yes, please, leave the house, get out, 
it would be great to have a break from you for the night. Just go. And we lay on that trampoline. We'd look up at the stars. And I would just wonder, is there more out there? Surely there's more to this life. Even as a kid, you get that sense that, man, we're so small. There's something much bigger. You just see those stars in the sky and you can't help but wonder, what is that? I want to know what that is. In our hearts, we have a desire to connect with the divine. And I think we find in this paragraph that God has made us that way, but he hasn't left us that way. Not only has God provided a desire in our hearts to have a connection with him, but he's provided the way to do it. And it started, it's rooted in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. Look at verse 19 with me. Verse 19 of chapter 10, we read, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. What is that most holy place? Sometimes that most holy place is called the holy of holies. It was the inner room of the sanctuary. It was the inner part of the tabernacle. Once the temple was built, it was the inner holy of holies, that room where they believed in the midst of this enormous temple complex. It was, it was really big. It wasn't just a small little place. That in this smaller room within the temple, this holy of holies, God's presence dwelt. And this started all the way back in the Old Testament when the, when the Jewish folks were wandering through the desert and they built a tabernacle and they had that place where they just said, this most holy place, we believe God is dwelling here. Now what does that tell us? Is that God wants to be among his people. The Greek mythology, gods are up there. They're not down here. Gods are largely unconcerned with our life. But in the Jewish understanding of God, as God revealed himself to them, is that God wants to be among us. He not only gave us a desire to connect with him, but he's provided for us a way to do it. And it started with this holy of holies, this temple place. And what we find in the Old Testament, and it's, and it's explained to us clearly in Hebrews, is chapter 8, verse 5 specifically, is that the things that God directed his people to make like the temple, uh, those things were a shadow, a copy and a shadow, Hebrews 8, 5 tells us, of the reality that stands behind them. In other words, that temple and that holy of holies represented a larger reality. That wherever God is, that really is the holy of holies. Wherever his presence is, that really is the center of the temple. And that God does desire to dwell with us and to be near us. And he has thought of that from the beginning, wanting to walk with us and be near us. And what we find here is that we have this confidence that we can enter into his presence. And that that holy temple, that temple or that uh, holy of holies represents the presence of God. What he's saying essentially is we can have entrance into the presence of God. That thing our heart longs for, to be near to God. To have a connection with the divine. God has made possible. God has provided a space for us. When you get into the New Testament story, you find this. Is that as you read through Hebrews, you see this is a very special place. And you had to prepare that place. It had to be a perfect place. It had to be treated perfectly. And God says, this is a shadow. What I really want is I want to live in you. I want to be present in your life. I want to be right there in your heart. That's how close I want to be to you. 
say, okay, so God is moving from this holy of holies into me? How is that? How can that be done? I mean, they had to take so many special precautions to, to fit, to, or, or, or so, they, so that the Holy of Holies was prepared for the presence of God. Like, it was not a small thing. How could God then come dwell in me? I ate, like, four desserts yesterday I shouldn't have eaten. Like, I, you know, like, I, this, is this really a temple for the presence of God? I mean, how does that work? I'm not worthy of that. We find that Jesus makes us worthy. He prepares us to be that temple. And Paul, who wrote the letter to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst? One of your greatest desires, one of your greatest longings, to have that connection with the divine. This great truth is that we can have that access to God. That Christ does prepare us to receive the Spirit of God to dwell in us. That it is possible to draw near to God. Second great truth. So the first great truth, we do have access to God. And that is a great and fundamental truth. The second great truth is that we are truly and forever forgiven. That we have access to true and everlasting forgiveness. Like I said, the temple that is our body, we ourselves are imperfect. How could the Spirit of God dwell in us? Jesus prepares the Holy Spirit to dwell in us by forgiving us. And this is really great news. That's what the word gospel means. You've heard it before if you've been a part of our worship services. Gospel means good news. The good news is Jesus, through Christ, we do have forgiveness. Look at the middle of verse 19 of Hebrews 10. Middle of verse 19, we pick up with this. He talks about the blood of Jesus, that we are able to enter into the temple or the presence or the holiness of God by the blood of Jesus, by brand new living, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. So you see two things there, the blood and the body. That should sound familiar when we take the Lord's Supper. That's often how we, that is how we talk about it, that those elements in the bread and in the juice represent for us the bread, represents the body. The juice represents the blood. That is through Jesus' sacrifice that we have this opportunity to have the Spirit of God dwell in us, that we might become children of God. And yet we know that we're undeserving of it. Because I think most of us are pretty aware of at least some of our sin. And if you're not aware of at least some of your sin, someone you came to church with today could probably fill in the gaps for you if you are brave enough to ask, right? And that burden of knowing that we are sinners and that we don't deserve this access to God could break our souls if we did not know that there actually is true and lasting forgiveness for us. And it's made, it's made way through the, through the blood and the body of Christ. And that sounds a little weird, right? If I'm, if I'm honest with you and you're new to church, I would have to agree with you. It does sound a little strange to think about, okay, so I can have a right relationship with God, but someone had to die in order to make that happen. But the truth is, something has to die every day just to keep you alive. You ever thought about that? Now, we're, we're going to eat lunch today, are we not? Some, some of you are like, no, I'm fasting. Okay, all right, that's good, that's good. The rest of us, we're eating, okay? And when we eat, what are we eating? We're eating dead things that keep us alive. Even if you're a vegetarian, 
Those plants were alive. And then you killed them. And then you ate them. <laughs> right? There's just no way you can get around that fact. Things have to die in order for you to live. If that's true physically, how much true must it be spiritually? That the scriptures teach us we are dead because of our sins spiritually. How can we become alive in the midst of our sin? Something had to die. And that something was a someone, and that someone was Jesus. So we read in scriptures, in Hebrews actually, Hebrews 9.22, we read this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Something had to die in order for there to be forgiveness. Again, that sounds a little strange, but, but let me just tell you, you know, like if you've ever been sinned against... Doesn't that cost something? Doesn't it cost you something? Maybe a sense of self-worth or value or, or it cost you your peace because you're angry about it, you know? Or it cost you a relationship because now someone's sinned against you and you've lost an important relationship in your life. Like when there is sin, when someone has sinned against you and that, and that relationship is broken, someone's got to pay a price to fix that relationship. Someone has to pay a price to mend what is broken. Metaphorically, in the Old Testament, this was the shedding of the blood of the sacrifices in the sacrificial system. It was a recognition that when they slaughtered something like a, a bull or a goat, it was people saying, I recognize my sin. It's costly. This animal that I raised and invested in, this firstborn of my stock, you know, that, that would provide for my family in some way and... and and, and, and they're worth something. This thing, this bull, this goat, it has, to, it has to die in order for me to have some sense that I am making things right with God. That God has provided a way for us in this sacrificial system to recognize guilt of our sin and to show, demonstrate to God that we feel that, we see it. But here's what we find in Hebrews, what we know in the New Testament is under that Old Testament system, that was... A shadow. That was a copy of what was to come. That was a temporary holding place so that one day there could be genuine and lasting forgiveness. Again, in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews himself says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins of the world. Hebrews 10.4. So if it requires the shedding of blood for forgiveness of sins, but it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin then what is our options here? What's our hope? What's good enough? How in the world can we fix a, a broken relationship between us and God? How is that even possible when we have sinned against a holy and infinite and perfect God that is our creator? How can there be forgiveness? Well, the, the price is pretty steep. It took nothing less than the Son, than the blood of the Son of God to scrub away our sin. But here's the great news that high price He paid is high enough to cover your sin. And you may be sitting here today thinking through your sins. There may be some really big ones this week. You may have walked in here with shame and guilt. You may be thinking, if anyone knew, I might lose relationships, I might lose my job. I, I lose my mind. If anybody knew, my sin is too much. No, it's not. 
is too much for bulls and goats. It's too much than just you feeling bad about it. It's too much for that. But it's not too much for Jesus. It took nothing less than the the blood of the Son of God to die, to scrub us clean from our sins. But the price that God paid was high enough. There is true and forever lasting forgiveness of sins through the person of Jesus. We're running out of time. Y'all may be keeping count and say, now you said there was three great truths and three calls to action. And we're on number two. And we got, Matt, you got three minutes. All right. I told you, it's, it's hard to preach through all the Hebrews in one sermon. How about this? Uh, oh, my goodness. There's such beauty in this. I will mention this really quickly. The third great truth is this. God really knows what we're going through. This is the third and great truth from this passage. God really knows what we're going through. It hints at it, but it's clearly spelled out in other parts of Hebrews. Here's what I like to do. I like to end with this. And I like to say, hey, there's three great calls. Draw near to God. Hold unswervingly to the hope that we have in Christ. And keep spurring one another on. So dwell on those three calls to action this week. But let me close with this one final great truth. God really does know what we're going through. Hebrews 19. 19. Pick up in the middle of verse 19 with me and read through verse 20. He says, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, uh, I'm going to stop there. Since we have a great high priest, what is he talking about here? That high priest was a human being called by God to represent God to the people. He would take the sins of the people and go to God and say, God, we're sorry. Here's our sacrifice, the bulls and goats and all that stuff. But then the priest would mediate the grace of God to the people. He would come back and say, God has accepted our offering. He he has forgiven us. He's cleansed us because we've made this offering. God is forgiving us. So the priest would represent God to the people and the people to God. But there's a problem with this because the priest was human. And humans sinned. And so the priest sins. So the priest has to offer his own offering uh, a sacrifice to demonstrate his repentance before he could ever do that for anyone else. And so he's a very imperfect person. But he knows what it's like to be human. He knows distinctly the pain of sin because he himself has sinned. So when that human priest goes to God on behalf of the people, he goes as a person himself. But because of this calling of God on his life, He has an access to God that the people don't have. And he's able to bring that access in a small way back to the people. So a priest represents the people to God and God to the people. But it's an imperfect system. Because the priest himself is a sinner. And therefore, his ministry is limited. And Hebrews points out, we now have a priest who knows what it's like to be human, yet he has never sinned. He knows what it's like to be weak, yet he has all the strength that you can imagine in the world and is able to bring power and strength and hope into our lives in a way that a human never could. 
So he knows what it's like to be human, but he can do something about our human plight. This priest is the person of Jesus. That Jesus is a mediator of a better covenant built on better promises. The writer of Hebrews says to us, we have this great high priest over the house of God. We have one that understands, but can do something about it. Now, if I'm going down the road and my car breaks down, I hate to say it, but there's only so much I can do, right? Uh, I, can, I can fix a flat, and uh, if there's an auto zone, I could replace a battery. But if there's something really wrong with that car, we're in trouble, right? Say someone comes up behind me and tries to help and says, hey, I know nothing about cars, and I, I really have nothing to offer, but hey, I feel bad for you. I mean, I've been there. My car's broken down on the side of the road, too. I'd say, thanks, but you're kind of wasting both of our time here. There's no reason to stop. Just, you know, keep on going. Uh, but if a mechanic showed up and they could do something about it, man, praise God. Jesus cannot, he can identify with our broken state because he himself was a human. Though he never sinned, he took on the sins of the world and he knew temptation and he knew what it was to be limited by the flesh because he chose to limit himself. He knows what you're going through. I, I hope you understand that. Hebrews 2.17 says, For this reason he had to be made like them. Jesus had to be made fully human in every way. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he suffered. He himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. God knows what it's like to be tempted by sin. God knows what it's like to be rejected by people that he loved. God knows what it's like to be unfairly accused. God knows what it's like because Jesus is God. Jesus is that divine being. Jesus is the Son of the Father in heaven. And you may be struggling this morning because you're going through some stuff and you wonder, does God's so far up there. He's doing his own thing. He, he doesn't know what my life is like. He could not be more wrong. Not only can he see into your life and see everything that you're going through, but God, the Son of God, God in the flesh, He absolutely knows what it's like to be human. But not only that, is He can do something about it. He wants to come into your life and help you with those things. He wants to bring you comfort and peace and strength and wisdom that you do not have on your own if you will open your life to Him. So maybe just one call to action, which is the first one that we read about. In chapter 10, verse 22, draw near to God. Let our invitation this morning be a chance for you to draw near to God. To come to a God who knows what it's like. To come to a God who wants to have a relationship with you. To come to a God who is offering forgiveness at His, at his cost. He paid the price. Would you come to that God? Maybe you have a conception of who God is from your years of growing up or whatever. If that God doesn't sound like this God, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of Scriptures, He made you. He wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He's provided forgiveness so that that can happen. He has provided us a great hope in knowing that we have a God who knows our condition. 
and he has not given up on us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us these great truths because we need them. God, we go into our world and we are just told one lie after another. Even in our, our own hearts can deceive us and convince us of things that aren't true like we can never know God. We can never be forgiven. God doesn't know and God doesn't care and God can't do anything. God, I, I pray that through your word and through the spirit working in us, you would convince us of the truths that are greater than our lies. We would live in these truths and draw near to you even now. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me for our invitation? If you need prayer this morning, I'd love to pray with you. I'll be down front here. Uh, you pray where you're at. Pray with those around you. Whatever the Lord calls you to do.